This is episode number 19 of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. We're so excited to have you with us on this episode of To Birth and Beyond. I'm Jessie Mundell, mom, kinesiologist, and fitness coach to pregnant and current moms. And I'm Anita Lambert, mom, pelvic health, and orthopedic physiotherapist with a focus on women's health. On the show, we provide information and education on fitness, the pelvic floor, fertility, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and women's health. We offer a brave space to have candid and vulnerable conversations on the struggles and joys of motherhood, including all aspects of our physical, mental, and emotional health. While you're listening in, please remember that the information on the show is not meant to diagnose or treat any medical conditions. Please speak with your medical provider for all things related to your healthcare. We're so excited to have you. Let's dive into today's show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. It's Jesse Mundell. And Anita Lambert. Today, we have a very special guest with us, Haley Shevener. Haley, before we introduce you, thank you so much for coming on with us. Thanks, guys, for having me. So we're really excited to talk to you today about a range of topics, including your coaching specifically in the prenatal postnatal fitness realm, pelvic organ prolapse, again, your personal experience and how you coach clients in those populations, and then an upcoming course you are going to be releasing on kettlebell training for those with core and pelvic floor dysfunction. So let's give our listeners a little intro to you, Haley, and then we'll have you speak a bit more about exactly what you are doing now. So Haley is a lover of movement with over a decade of experience as a fitness professional. Haley strives to empower her clients to find their strength, voice, and joy through movement. Taking a body-positive approach, Haley's work celebrates one's innate worthiness and power through the exploration of their body's abilities, whatever they may be. With a particular interest in training throughout the prenatal and postnatal chapters and with conditions involving the pelvic floor, Haley's passion is to spread a message of education, awareness, hope, humor, and resilience. Her diverse skill set stems from a background in dance, certifications in Olympic weightlifting, kettlebell instruction, and more certifications specific to prenatal and postnatal fitness and various other fitness modalities. Her personal experience in recovering from bulimia and, more recently, pelvic organ prolapse provide her with a level of empathy that allows her to connect deeply with whom she has the privilege of working with. When she is not working with clients or navigating her own return to athleticism after prolapse, she can be found with her son and husband, likely eating snacks and watching videos of sloths. You know, important (laughs) stuff. I love it. (laughs) Okay, tell us more specifically about the work that you're doing currently. Yeah, I work with um, mostly individuals, uh, but I also do some group training as well. And I'm predominantly working with those people, mostly women in person. uh, But I do also work with people uh, in an online capacity. And, And I'm working on an online course as well. So... Mostly in person, but a couple other things going on as well. And what uh, what has your journey in your career as a fitness coach been like up until this point? It's been wild. Uh, I started about 13 years ago. Uh, I had I was a dancer for several years, and basically, I mean, it was kind of a weird start. I went to a gym and got approached by a guy who asked me if I wanted to be a trainer. And had absolutely no experience and 
just kind of got launched into the fitness industry and ended up really falling in love with it and becoming more educated and certified and finding my path, um, working with a general population for several years, uh, and then kind of working specifically with people who had been kind of hurt by the fitness industry's very often negative uh, messaging about one's body. So I started really focusing on that. That was kind of my my biggest message that I wanted to get across. Uh, and then after becoming pregnant with my son, realized the enormous lack of information and quality guidance for women who were pregnant or postpartum and just really found myself um, solely focusing on that population. And that's still kind of where I'm mostly staying. Talk to us more about your experience with pregnancy and postpartum exercise with your son. Did you feel like you had the tools that you needed to effectively train yourself through that period? Uh, not at all. And I'm really excited for the first person who says yes to that question. <laughs> I have not yet met her. Um, but no, I didn't at all. I mean, I had, and this is, you know, I had pre and postnatal certifications at that point. And I would go online or I'd go on PubMed and I would try and find anything that discussed uh, training during pregnancy that wasn't just like swimming or walking or gentle yoga. And those things are fine, but I, I didn't have a lot of interest in them as a fitness modality. And I was, you know, my interest was barbell, kettlebell training um, and, and weightlifting. And so I didn't really have any guidance on that and tried to find anything I could, couldn't find anything uh, and realized that, wow, this is, this is a real problem, not just for me, but for the people that I knew I would be working with um, and that I had already worked with. I mean, I had trained postpartum women for years without realizing that I was training postpartum women and what that meant. Um, yeah, it was, it was a disappointing experience, but I think that even just in that time frame, I mean, that was four years ago and I'm already amazed at how much more information there already is in such a, a short time frame which is pretty impressive for, you know, it wasn't, it's not like I have a, a teenager yet. <laughs> <laughs> and tell us a bit, you've been, uh, anyone who's listening who follows you on social media um, knows that you've shared your own story and experience with pelvic organ prolapse. So for those who don't know, can you tell us about kind of your experience with being diagnosed with it? And then also um, what were what were you experiencing in your body up until that point? And then also a few months after being diagnosed. Yeah. I mean, I, I had all throughout my pregnancy, I trained in a way that was very similar to how I had always trained and I felt really good. Uh, early on postpartum, I also felt really good. Uh, and I went back to training the way that I pretty much always had, even though I definitely had the knowledge to do other things, but I didn't necessarily have the support to do those things. Um, and so by and large, my body felt pretty well. Uh, but I, I initially saw a pelvic floor physical therapist um, around a couple months postpartum because I was having some tailbone pain. And that was kind of the first indication that something wasn't exactly right. 
Um, and that initial appointment, she identified what she described as like a slightly lower bladder. Um, but it wasn't necessarily the most, um, you know, specific of diagnoses or, you know, she didn't, she didn't really say much more than that. And at four months, three months postpartum, I wasn't really pushing the issue either. Um, so I went back to doing, you know, what I had been doing or what did genuinely feel pretty good in my body. And it wasn't until several months after that, um, after my son was actually a year old, that I started to notice subtle things, but not so subtle once I actually knew what to look for. So I was mostly noticing that I just wasn't really able to progress. I felt this sense of just, I was kind of stalled performance-wise. Uh, and I started to notice like heaviness at the end of the day, but I don't know that I, I even would have necessarily like, had I not known anything about prolapse at that point, And I was working with pre and postnatal women and I had clients with prolapse. And I think I was in some ways hypervigilant and in other ways kind of in denial, but, um, had I not known anything, I don't know that I would have even necessarily picked up on it because there is so much information that su just suggests that like all of these things are normal now. And, you know, your body's just this way after having a baby. Uh, but about at 13 months postpartum, I had a particularly rough weekend where I had been walking a lot with my son in the carrier. It was the only way he was going to sleep. And I'm talking like nine hours in the carrier constantly. Um, and after that weekend, I just felt this very distinct and it felt much more significant, this level of pressure or heaviness. And I immediately went to my pelvic floor physical therapist. Um, that was like maybe a day after I started experiencing that. And she was like, you know, yeah, it looks like things have gotten much worse. And, and that was when it became, you know, that was when the prolapse word came. And I think that just part of my brain just shut off at that point. And all I heard was, you know, it was like prolapse in giant red neon letters. And suddenly I had like crossed over into like the prolapse world. And <laughs> it was, you know, I think that it just was, it felt so different than hearing, you know, oh, well, it seems like there's some degree of descent in, you know, some of your, you know, it just felt so definite, I guess. And everything that I had been feeling that drew me to that appointment almost instantly got worse. I mean, I just felt, I left that appointment with my head stuck to my phone, reading Google, uh, immediately looking at everything that was, you know, certainly going to just get worse and worse and worse as time went on. And I became obsessed to the point of being unable to focus on anything else. And suddenly my entire identity revolved around the fact that I now had this, you know, now I was prolapse and I was, you know, not going to be able to do the things that I really enjoyed doing. And I wasn't, you know, who am I to train pre and postnatal women? And when here I am with this prolapse diagnosis and why would anyone want to work with me? I mean, it really impacted several layers of my identity um, and as that kind of unraveled this concept of what I thought I was, um, my symptoms got worse and it became this cycle of just worsening symptoms, worsening obsession, um, feeling this loss of identity and really struggling in every aspect of my life, um, uh, for, a, you know, several months after that. 
I'm just curious though, as um, being a pelvic physio, and I do talk to clients about this a lot, and everyone definitely goes through their own journey. And I'm curious if, because you, when you said you felt symptoms and then you went to your public physio and they kind of diagnosed it, did you ever look with a mirror or feel or anything like that and notice anything different or, or you did and nothing was different so that you were surprised to hear? I'm just curious in terms of, because I have clients who do and some don't. Yeah. I mean, I had a pretty, I've always been very comfortable with like, observing my own anatomy. And I think that's really important. Uh, I don't necessarily like keep records. So I couldn't, I couldn't uh, compare and contrast. Um, but I felt, I felt like what I was seeing postpartum was a little different, but not aggressively different. Uh, but what I felt after that weekend that prompted me to go back felt a little bit more like droopy. Or like more, just more stuff. Uh, but it wasn't necessarily, like, again, I don't think that if I had, had I not known about pelvic organ prolapse from having worked with my clients, I don't know that I ever would have made that appointment. Uh, I think that I would have been able to, or I would have just ignored that uh, to some extent. Um, and and that it really was this, like, I knew, I knew to pay attention and I knew that this was an appointment that I should go to. Um, but it wasn't like, it wasn't as significant as some of my clients have told me, or as I talk to, uh, with women in say the group on Facebook that I run. Um, so yeah, it was, it was visually different. Um, but it wasn't so different that it, that that alone was what set me off. I think it's also really important for people to hear with your story that it wasn't super early postpartum you were experiencing things a bit later down the road and that can be so common for people too and again to not brush off at that point if we are experiencing some subtle signs or more of those bigger signs one yeah. of my postnatal fitness specialist academy students recently said how much they love this quote from you in our interview together in that course and it was when you said i honestly don't obsess about my vagina the way i used to and they loved this so much and it was such a turning point for them as well in their personal experience so what has changed from those early months after that prolapse diagnosis to where you are now in terms of approaching your life and your exercise with prolapse. Yeah, a lot. Um, I mean, yeah, I was truly obsessed. It was, it was a constant every day, all day, uh, whenever I was working or with my family or just, you know, a quiet moment with myself, I was, it was always on my mind. Um, and I was constantly going in the bathroom and like checking and seeing, you know, I now needed a leash for my organs or if they were going to, you know, stay where they had been the five minutes before I had checked. Uh, and I think what, I mean, the biggest turning point for me was uh, going to a workshop of Anthony Lowe's and having a personal session with him after that workshop. And uh, just his kind of uh, confidence in me that, that and, and in the body in general, that things could adapt and that I could adapt and 
that was really, I mean, one of the lowest points in my life in many ways. There were a lot of things going on beyond just the prolapse diagnosis itself, um, but the prolapse diagnosis made everything much harder. Uh, but he kind of recognized that and didn't just treat me as like the vagina. Um, he saw me as the athlete and the coach and the person. Uh, and it was a really powerful and profound experience for me. And he really encouraged me. Um, I also at that point saw a PT, a pelvic floor PT that had also taken his course. So I basically got a second opinion. And she had the same or a very similar confidence. Uh, and they both had this level of, um, of like calm about them and, and this idea that, you know, yes, I hear that you're struggling and that these symptoms are frustrating and that you are scared, but I also feel that there's a lot of hope in your future and that you can get back to doing a lot of the things that you love to do. And that part of that process is going to be you trying and applying the strategies that you know, you know, you know of. Um, and they really just encouraged me to go back to playing uh, because at that point I had completely ceased all exercise. Um, and so I, at that point, went back to the gym and I started pretty basic uh, with pretty basic stuff um, and, and progressed. And, you know, after that first session was I think initially surprised that everything wasn't just crashing down um, and then just continued to kind of play with that. And I found more support in people online. And I started to talk more to clients that were dealing with similar things. I didn't feel like I had to hide it as much. I, there was a lot of shame initially, which I think just amplified those feelings that I had had. And I started to reach out a, a little bit more and I started to write about it. And that experience, I thought of it more as a challenge to, you know, this was just another thing that I could, I could explore or I could, I could work through. Um, and I, and I started to allow myself to do that. And I went to a lot of therapy. <laughs> oh, it's key. That probably helps. <laughs> Can we just back up from that experience with Anthony and the other public floor PT who instilled this confidence in you? What was the experience like? What were the guidelines you were given after you were diagnosed with prolapse in terms of what you could or should do physically with your body? Yeah, my initial guidelines were were very like I wasn't given a ton of structure. I think that my PT assumed that I knew what to do, but the things that she did mention felt really restrictive. Like I remember walking out of that appointment with the instruction to be, be like cautious of going downhill, for instance. And I live in San Francisco, which is notoriously hilly and I don't drive. So I'm going to walk to go to work and I have to walk downhill to go to work. And I was terrified to walk downhill and I was terrified to pick up my child and it was things Things like that, um, the idea of like sticking to body weight only, but not really specific instruction. I mean, body weight exercise could mean chin-ups or could mean bridges. Um, but I just felt I didn't, I felt like I couldn't trust myself because I wasn't necessarily given a lot of information or education 
I think that the assumption was that I had the education, which I, I cognitively did have this information, but it's different when it's you. It's different when you're going for yourself. And it doesn't matter how educated of a coach you are, I think. I think when it's your own body, it's a very different experience. Um, and so I went online, like many women do, and I was bombarded with like stability ball exercises and swimming and things with like one pound weights and regressions of movements that I felt like I could do in my sleep. And there was some level of ego there for sure, but there was also just this really sad morning period of like, I didn't see all the things that I loved to do and that had made me feel really powerful in my body. I just saw things that at that point to me symbolized what, you know, what I, I didn't want to do. Uh, but that was the only guideline that I could find consistently. And the more research I did, which was definitely not productive at that point for me, it, was, it became a very like dark, obsessive place. But the more research I did, the more of that information I found. And the only information I found that suggested otherwise was always presented as like a cautionary tale. Like you could do this other stuff, but you don't want to because you're going to end up like this person or you're going to end up like me. Um, and so I, I just felt like the information that was being presented was very cautious. And I understand a guideline being cautious, especially when you give someone information on the internet, it's very difficult to, you know, just create a list for instance, but the only lists I found were, you know, all of the stuff that was in the don't column was all of the stuff that I wanted to do. And what Anthony and the second PT gave to me was basically trust in myself again. They didn't give me guidelines. They didn't give me a list. Uh, they gave me the confidence that I did actually know a lot about my body and about training in general that I had kind of felt like had been taken away from me when I got this diagnosis uh, because I felt like the diagnosis symbolized that I had no idea what I was doing. And so they gave me this permission in some sense to trust myself again and to keep actually listening to my body in a way that was productive. Um, and it made all the difference in the world. I love, I love hearing that and how Anthony and the second PT approached it. I still get clients coming in my office who may have been told what you were told the first time by not necessarily physio, but other care providers. And I think that's usually the first step we're working through is that fear and that mistrust in their own body. Then we can get to the next step. So totally. yeah, I'm really glad that you ended up. How did you find Anthony? Was that just through the yeah, like through, I had followed yeah. him for years uh, and I was on his mailing list and then I saw San Francisco uh, pop up because he does a lot of travel, which is amazing and sounds exhausting, but he was coming to San Francisco and, uh, and I was so stoked and it was like a great, you know, it was, it was the perfect time uh, for me to, to be in that environment. His course was great as anticipated, but it was really that one-on-one -on -one time with him that was really uh, life-changing for me. And what would be, so what are kind of the, the most common questions that you get from your community about exercising with prolapse and what's kind of the most common advice that you end up giving? Yeah. Everybody wants to know is blank 
exercise pelvic floor safe. And I give the same information uh, that I wish I had been given in that it depends. And that we can, I like to shift that perspective instead of thinking about the exercise, let's think about, well, where are you? And what's going on with your body? And how can we make it so that you're able to do things that feel productive and feel fulfilling and feel awesome for you where you are right now before we wonder specifically about this movement. Um, and I try to help people, especially in the group or if I'm working with someone one-on-one, um, -on -one, I try to help people kind of reframe that idea in that we can make a lot of things, if not most things, more, you know, quote unquote, pelvic floor safe when we approach them with a specific intention or when we're mindful of the strategy or when we're mindful of the, the capacity of our body currently, or if we've met the prerequisites for said movement. And so it really, I mean, it's kind of gone full circle in a lot of ways in that I end up just talking about general strength training in terms of progressions and regressions and adaptation and just these basic exercise principles that I feel like sometimes get lost in the you know, pre-postnatal or, or core world in that there's, you know, a very stringent list of things that people cling to and have this concept that only these things are appropriate. And if they fall outside of that, then, you know, don't even go there. And so I try and bring people back to the idea that, well, we can make, we can modify a lot of things. We can work up to a lot of things and we can keep our focus on, well, what can we do right now? Where are we right now? And how can we make whatever it is that you want to do um, you know, whatever exercise that someone brought up initially, we can start to make that more achievable uh, when we approach it systematically instead of just giving a yes or no answer. Because the yes or no answer I don't think is ever right because I have no idea how someone is doing it. I have no idea like what their actual, you know, it's like, it's kind of like asking how long is the, the string? Well, I don't know, what are you gonna do with it? And where is it gonna go? And so, you know, I try to just reframe that I think sometimes that's a really frustrating answer for people. I think that people want the just tell me what to do answer, but I firmly believe that the tell me what to do answer will get someone one step and then they'll still be asking what to do next. But if we give people the information to understand movement and understand their body, they stop having to ask those questions because they start getting the answers for themselves. And that's what I really needed. I needed someone to empower me to understand that I could get those answers for myself and really trust that process. And so I really hope to at least start that discussion because I think they're just, a lot of people have given up their autonomy when exploring exercise with any kind of, you know, quote unquote dysfunction. They just suddenly are so scared and reliant on outside sources, but no one will ever be able to tell you better than yourself once you learn what to look for and once you learn how to approach that idea. So I try to give back people a little, a little bit of themselves and trust uh, with education and tools uh, and, you know, good resources. I love this. You're the person that's giving so many people trust now. And that is so cool how it's come full circle. Totally. What is the name of the Facebook group you run? 
It's called Pop Fitness, P-O-P Fitness. And the point and the purpose of that group is what? I originally started it because I didn't feel like there was a space for me where I could talk about the like success I was having. I was really excited about all of the movement I was doing and being able to lift weights in a way that felt really supportive of my pelvic floor. And I would share it with other message boards or other groups and I got banned or <laughs> it was just unwelcome information. I think it was seen as, as like dangerous information instead of information that was appropriate for me and information that I was really excited about. And I felt this weird sense of like, I can't talk about the fact that I'm lifting weights with the prolapse. And so I needed a space where I could actually talk about it and not feel like I was robbing a bank. <laughs> and so I, I, that, that is really the purpose for me to not feel shame. But then it turned it, and I remember asking a, a girlfriend of mine who's in the group, I was like, do you think anyone's going to join? I was like, I don't think anyone's going to join. This is just, just going to be you two, <laughs> you and me. <laughs> and now there are 1,700 people in, which is pretty cool. That's uh, so cool. It's the best. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. And I would say being a health professional in the group, like it's been really neat seeing the questions and the answers. And I feel like out of any prolapse kind of forum or group that I've seen, it's very positive and hopeful and encouraging. Whereas I totally agree. There's been so many others that it's just like, you just go down a negative spiral and it's just not helping, even though I totally get people need to debrief and need to go through their process and go through that side. But then there needs to be another side to it after and not every group gets that. So I love that your group does. Um, and the focus of Haley's group is fitness. So really most questions are geared around that. So if you have questions or you want to bounce questions or ideas or as Haley shared, like your excitement that you were doing things like I've seen that in the group. Someone will post a picture of them, you know, lifting weights and then sharing their story and it gives other people hope and then people get to validate that person's experience. So I'm really glad you've started it and definitely a lot of people have joined. So yeah, and it's really fun to see. I feel like there's a lot of critical thinking and I feel like there's a lot of just really good information and that people uh, typically have a high, uh, that they want to see evidence and that they want to approach this in a way that feels really smart. And it's not, you know, I think that maybe at the surface level, it would be easy to say like, oh, this is just a bunch of rebels, like trying to just do what their physician said not to. But I really feel like it's become this really supportive resource where people are able to share and think critically and really dive into the research. Um, and, and there are a lot of amazing physical therapists and medical professionals like you, Anita, who have, who have joined and, uh, and it just, it feels like a really neat supportive place that I definitely didn't have access to before, uh, before I created it. So I'm excited that, that it exists. Yeah. We will link to it in the show notes. Absolutely. For anyone that follows you on social media, specifically Instagram in general, they know that you are a big encourager of play during movement and in fitness. Is this one aspect of why you love kettlebell training? Oh, yeah. I mean, kettlebells really lend themselves to, to just diversity in movement. And 
there is definitely a system of kettlebell training. And I think that it's important to understand that basic system. But I think that the really neat thing about them is that once you have the basics, they, they really lend themselves to the idea of exploration and play and just making stuff up as it makes sense to you, which is, it really resonates with me. And uh, I, they're the one tool that I never really get bored of. Yeah, and if anyone listening is a dancer and you see Haley play with the kettlebells, like I knew even before you were a dancer that you were just watching you play um, because you're really, really creative and uh, your lines are definitely from a dancer background too. (laughs) Totally. I I no longer dance, but I can can dance with my my cast iron. (laughs) (laughs) And so... um, has there been like a missing component of addressing the core and pelvic floor um, from the big names in kettlebell certification um, that you've taken? And, and now that you've kind of brought it up more, has it been discussed more as well? Yeah, I mean, I think that just in fitness in general, there's a huge lack. I mean, when I got really personally interested, I went back through all of my old textbooks uh, from every certification that I've done. And I found like, maybe one sentence every now and then. Uh, and I think that the same is true for kettlebell training or hard style kettlebell training. Um, it's a very masculine approach. Uh, and, you know, it's, it has tended to not necessarily focus on female considerations. Um, I don't think that they're necessarily, like, I don't think that it's a purposeful you know, but I think that it just, they just haven't talked about it. And there is one or two, there are like two mentions of the pelvic floor in say the guidebook, um, but they're in passing and they're not actually discussing that key piece of our core system in the strategy. And I've, I made a big point of during my first uh, level one certification with the RKC, I made a point of like being very public about the fact that, hey, I'm dealing with pelvic organ prolapse. There are going to be things that I might do differently. I'm going to tell you now so that this doesn't get weird. Um, And because you guys are coaches and you're working with women. And if you have ever worked with a group of women, you have dealt with someone who has pelvic organ prolapse, whether you know that or not. And so it's, it was really important for me to just articulate that. And I think that things are not necessarily changing at an organizational level, but I see so many more women like myself who are certified in kettlebell instruction, who are being more vocal about the need for adapting strategy. Uh, and that's really exciting. And I think that the more vocal we are and the more we discuss that like hey it's going to look the same like we're going to get the same result and it's in fact it's going to be much better because now we're harnessing a big key to our performance uh, which is really a big key to everyone's performance Um, and so I'm I'm hopeful that you know 10 years from now we'll look back and say wow that was so weird that we weren't talking about it this way and that it wasn't a more flexible strategy But it, like many movement systems, has just been so rigid and has been very, you know, that's just the way that you do things. And that way doesn't work for everyone. In fact, it doesn't work for a significant percentage of people. 
And if we have a little bit more flexibility in how we're approaching those systems, we can make it more accessible to so many more people and we can increase the longevity of our training. And I just don't understand why we wouldn't want to do that. Yeah, just makes sense. Totally. I think that it's been so cool for me to see this with you and again, some of our colleagues in the fitness industry specifically, because the realm of kettlebells is not my area of expertise, but what you are doing to push this forward uh, is so appreciated and so necessary. What are the most common misconceptions you're hearing about kettlebell training for those populations with core or pelvic floor dysfunction? That they should not be doing it at all. Full stop. Ever. Like, like it's just so interesting. People say kettlebell training as if all kettlebells are the same. Every movement is the same. All bodies are the same. Like, don't even look at a kettlebell. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's so reductive. But I could have, I mean, I, I literally have, it's a joke, I got it for my son, but I have like a two pound kettlebell. And then we have a 40 kilo kettlebell on our porch right now. That's a, a huge range. <laughs> I mean, and they're not, I don't have to like suddenly just start busting out in my snatch test as soon as I see it. You know, I can do a lot of different things with them. They're really a uh, scalable tool. And so whenever someone says, don't train with kettlebells if you have prolapse or if you have a diastasis, I just don't get it because we can, kettlebell training is so, you could do so many different movements and so many different ways to do those movements. I think that's the biggest misconception is that it's just not appropriate if you have any kind of core or pelvic floor consideration. There was a video you posted. It was a while ago, Haley. I thought it was perfect. You it was like a split screen between you doing kettlebell movements and then doing the same movement, but with your son, like basically all these movements as new moms, we have to do every day and they pretty much mimic some yeah. of the kettlebell moves. So especially when people get prolapse, get diagnosed and they're like, don't lift anything above five pounds. And I'm like, well, they have a baby and a car seat oh, and a stroller. Or if you don't, I've got um, senior clients who are lifting grandchildren, like, Oh yeah, not realistic and kettlebell oh. or any weight training is actually, I recommend it and building up to it because it's just daily life. Like you need it. Totally. I, yeah. And I love that you bring up an older population. I look at my parents who watch my son twice a week and they haven't been strength training and they're older and I watch them pick up my son and I think to myself, like, I wonder, I wonder if we could do this a little bit better if we, if we had a little bit of practice. You know what would be great for that? Kettlebell training or any kind of strength training. Um, and yeah, for, I mean, I was just talking about this with a client. Uh, I have a eight month, an eight month pregnant client who has a 35 pound toddler who, you know, anyone that has a toddler knows that they don't just comply when you tell them to go up the stairs and she was like, I realized that I'm not only carrying this unborn baby, but I'm carrying my 35 pound toddler. And my doctor has told me, you know, just given me the very generic, like, don't lift anything over 10 pounds kind of advice. And she's like, but we would never, we would be sitting outside all night because we would never get up the stairs. And, you know, she, she and I were talking about how it was so important for her to understand, well, how can I do this in a way that feels supportive and how can I learn to make this manageable for my body? And when I do those things, it's actually much easier 
and gee whiz, you get stronger and things are less challenging and you're putting less pressure on your system. I mean, that's, that's a win for everybody. Uh, so I think, and I think that's changing. I just think that there's a lot of really archaic information out there that just is very persistent. I feel like one of them is even still at this point, new moms um, mm -hmm. having prolapse. I still hear from care providers that young moms just get kind of sloughed off like, well, you know, you've had a baby, you know, come back and see me when you're done having babies. You're probably just yep. going to need surgery anyways. And then I have other care providers that are like, go to pelvic physio. There's lots you can do. I don't necessarily need to do surgery on you ever. Totally. Um, and there's like both sides that I still see. And it's really sad because I feel like especially the new moms, with all the lifting they do, they need this information um, even more so now. Totally. Yeah. I mean, I wasn't given any information when I left the hospital. Um, my midwives throughout my pregnancy just said, do what you've always done. As long as it feels good. I didn't know what felt good really meant. And then as soon as I left the hospital, I had a one page handout on contraceptives. <laughs> that was it. You know, it's like, well, what kind of birth control are you using? Well, that didn't actually answer my question about exercise, but <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's just too bad. I, I think that I would love to see uh, more, more collaboration with OBs and midwives and fitness professionals. And I think we all have a place and we can all stay within our scope and get so much better treatment for the people that we're working with if we have better communication and if we're on a similar page uh, and really being mindful of the most recent research and the evidence that we have and, and clinical experience and experience in the gym. And I just, I love when I, when I do collaborate with professionals that, that feel like we're on the same team. Cause I, I don't know why we wouldn't all be on the same team. Mm -hmm. And uh, both Jess and I think that your online program is definitely going to be a part of that because you'll be able to reach so many more women, not just locally. Um, so can you share a bit more about what your course is like, what it'll look like, um, and who it's for? Yeah, it's called Snatch, of course. <laughs> <laughs> a female-specific approach to kettlebell training. And uh, it's going to be on a teaching platform. And you'll log in, and you'll see um, it's about six to seven hours of content currently. Uh, there's going to be narrated videos and then um, me instructing. Uh, and I walk people through what I feel is the prerequisite, like the first prerequisite in terms of just understanding your body better and understanding your core system and understanding pressure and understanding all of these things that movement builds from. Um, so I walk people through a couple modules where we're just talking about, okay, well, here's your pelvic floor. And this is what we're talking about when we say pelvic floor. And this is your glottis. This is your diaphragm. This is, this is how this system interacts with itself. And then once we better understand that system and how it relates to the rest of the body, we can start dissecting, well, what strategies can we use to start either mitigating an influx in pressure or building a better response uh, basically building a more resilient body. So I walked people through a lot of that initially. I didn't feel like I could make any kind of movement course without having that education piece first, because as stubborn as I am, I know that a lot of people just want to get, you know, just tell me what to do, but I just don't, I can't. 
sorry. So I had to make, um, make those, those modules first. Um, so it's a lot of education initially, because I think that what I found from working with trainers, I do a lot of trainer education and client education. And what I've found is that instead of just giving people the answers, when you start to build the story and you start to have their level of understanding come up to where your level of understanding is, they start to put things together for themselves. So by the time you get to movement, they're like, oh yeah, no, I got this because it all has made sense. It's that scaffolding of learning. And so uh, I have a lot of initial kind of education and then we go into the movements themselves. And for instance, for the kettlebell swing, there are 15 progressions. Uh, they start from an isometric movement. So we're doing an isometric bridge and just understanding like, what are you feeling? What's going on in your body? Are you able to change that experience if you play with the strategy modifications that we've already gone through? And so it becomes this invitation to explore instead of me dictating, okay, well, this is what you should be doing right now. Uh, I wanted to give people the ability to build better awareness through a system that allowed them to, like really doesn't allow them to fail because they have to trust themselves and progress appropriately. I think that that's a big thing that's missing just in fitness in general is we kind of skip through a lot of progressions and we're just like, well, I'm just going to start working on this kettlebell swing, even though I can't do a hinge, even though I don't really understand tension, even though I have no idea what I'm feeling and we don't get the best results because we've skipped a lot of steps and we're not fully present in that movement. So I wanted to encourage people to get a little bit deeper into movement and their bodies and their awareness. Um, and I felt like, Kettlebell training was really just the vehicle to do that. Yes, it's a kettlebell course. You'll end up, having gone through it, you'll learn the swing, the single arm swing, clean, snatch, goblet squat, Turkish getup, windmill, press. I mean, you're gonna learn a lot of stuff. But I think that more than that, you'll learn how to manipulate any movement to work for you. And how to just start thinking about movement in terms of progressions and regressions and starting simply and moving slowly before moving to something more complex or before moving faster. And that way, you know, for me, once you start breaking down movement that way, you can really do anything you want. Like everything becomes accessible to you because you understand how to manipulate those variables. And that's what I hope that people get out of it. I don't really necessarily need everyone to become a kettlebell wizard after they take it, but I mean, that's cool. But like, I think more than that, you can just better understand movement and your body and you start to see that movement is everywhere and let's manipulate those variables so that we can make it even more present and we can make it work even better for us. So, and I tried to infuse a little bit of humor and you know, it's, it's a lot of information and I think that fitness, sometimes, I, I mean, I watch a lot of continuing ed and uh, it's not always the most entertaining. So, <laughs> so I tried to be funny. I tried to make people laugh. I think that when you laugh, you have a much better um, understanding of the material and you're much more likely to hold on to concepts and, and there's an element of support. You'll be able to access a, a Facebook group where we can talk about, you know, what's going on if you're having trouble and, you know, I just, I really want people to feel like they can approach kettlebell training in a way that makes sense for them. I get a lot of questions almost daily about, you know, what resources should I do? And I don't know where to start. And I wanted to make it so that people knew where to start. I cannot wait for this. First of yeah. all, 
It's going to be hilarious. I can't watch yeah. to wait all seven hours of that content. You're the only person. <laughs> no, not even close. But yeah, so needed. I think this is going to be a big game changer for a lot of people and the fitness industry in general. Last question, Haley, where can we find more about that course and then more about your coaching and you in general? Yeah, I am at Haley Shevener on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, you can find me at HaleyShevener.com. Um, and if you tune into those outlets, you will find more information about the course itself. It will have a website, but that's top secret right now. <laughs> so make sure, make sure on the mailing list um, and you'll be the first to be notified. Cool. And if the course is live by the time this episode airs, we'll absolutely have that linked for you in the show notes too. Haley, thank you so much for coming on with us. That was such a fun conversation. Mm. Absolutely. Thanks guys. On the next episode, we are going to be speaking about elective cesarean section births. And I'm going to be giving you some insight into why I am choosing to have a repeat elective C-section for my second baby's birth. We hope you enjoyed listening to this episode of the To Birth and Beyond podcast. You can find any links or resources we discussed in the show notes at tobirthandbeyond.com. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would love for you to leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe to the To Birth and Beyond podcast in iTunes or Stitcher. 